Well, our friends at Art Scroll are always coming out with amazing works, and uh, this one is no exception. The book is called Ravnutta, the story of Ravnutta Greenblatt, champion of Torah Judaism, written by Shmuel Botnik. Uh, this is available at artscroll.com. You know the rule. Go to artscroll.com and always use promo code radio for your free shipping and discount. Again, go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. The book is called Ravnutta, the story of Ravnutta Greenblatt, champion of Torah Judaism. Shmuel Botnik, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Uh, this is interesting. This is a book that if I have it, if I have the background correct, and if I read things properly, this is a book written by you who never met Rav Nutta. Is that accurate? That is correct. I never met Rav Nutta in his lifetime. Uh, however, over the past year and a half, I feel like I've got to know him uh, as if I did and as if I knew him for my entire life. And, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people in this audience who have heard of him and many who have not. Um, he, he was a very humble man, to say the least. That's a picture you paint, and certainly accurately. Um, when you speak to the average person who's familiar with the Torah world of the 20th and 21st centuries, is he a figure whose name normally comes up? Not really, no. I think he's known. I don't think he's known very well. I think very few people know the extent of his of his knowledge, um, of his scholarship, and of how many gedolim of previous generations he had regular inter, regular interactions with. I don't think any of that is well known. How did you get this assignment? So I write for Mishpacha magazine. I'm part of their editorial team. And when Ravnata was Nifter, I got the assignment, as I get many assignments, to write the article. Um, so the article came out uh, sh around Shavuos time, 2022. It was called The Humblest Mountain, obviously, you know, referring to Harsinai, but also referring to Ravnata. And the family liked the article, and they, they wanted me to take it to the next level. Pretty amazing. And here's the book. It's called Ravnutta, the story of Ravnutta Greenblatt. So tell us about his early years, because he ends up in an area that's relatively unfamiliar to us in this part of the country, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. How does that happen? And why would somebody who's who wants to hang out and uh, be imbued with the spirit and the Torah of Gedole Torah, which are, you know, often found in other larger metropolitan areas? Why would he end up in Memphis? So the truth is, no one really knows that um, Ravnata was living in New York at the time. Um, the story is you know, strangely simple. He saw an ad in the paper that uh, they needed a chazan and a Talmud Torah teacher in Memphis. And he decided, you know, he interviewed, uh, he got accepted and then headed out to Memphis. It isn't entirely clear um, why he did that. What we know is... Ravnata was a very staunch supporter of anyone who made the sacrifice to live out of town. He dedicated a huge amount of time to supporting Rabbanim and, and answering all their phone calls and prioritizing all their needs, uh, specifically Rabbanim who lived in small out-of-town communities. So this was something he was very passionate about. And I think another factor was he grew up in, in Newark, for a bulk of his life, he lived in Newark. And his father worked very hard to start the day school in Newark, which 
kind of still exists, not exactly in that form, but the Kushner Day School is an outgrowth of the of the school that his father started. So the idea of sacrificing to build Torah in communities that don't really have schools and 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 strong infrastructure was something he grew up with and he wanted to continue. Well, I'm a graduate of that school, so I have to be a makir tov, to say the least. Uh, Shmuel Botnik is with us. The book is called Rav Nutta. Now, it, it, it's funny you say about the commitment that he had to not only to uh, you know be in an area that was not a major Jewish community, but he showed support and would, con- and w- would uh, offer his advice whenever uh, somebody was in a smaller town. There were actually stories that you, that you have in the book of those who who consulted with him about whether they should pursue certain jobs, especially when it looked like those jobs would not be in major Jewish communities. He encouraged them to do so, saying basically you can make a lot more of an impact in that type of area than even in a place that has tens of thousands of Jews. That's correct. I think a theme you'll find throughout the book is that not that didn't see the difference between one Jew and a thousand Jews. He sacrificed for, for anyone he would fly on a dime to any city if he could help a single Jew. So he was very consistent in that approach, and that's why he felt that anyone who's willing to, again, make that sacrifice to help a small number of Jews is just uh, doing just as important a job as somebody who's leading a, a community of hundreds or thousands. Yeah, understood. But his humility, which was you know so remarkable, and, and we've already spoken about it, you've alluded to it a couple of times in this conversation, the, uh, uh, the humble approach that he had to life in general um, was pretty remarkable. He would do and, and, uh, and, and take a role, a leadership role, which often, of course, comes with you know, certain accolades and certainly a measure of respect, etc. Uh, but he handled it in the most humble way possible. Not always the easiest way to do that, right? Yeah, it's funny. It, it's almost contradictory because at the same time, Rav Nata was incredibly confident. And I feel like the two go together uh, even though ostensibly they seem contradictory, Rav Nathan right. knew exactly who he was. And he therefore didn't feel the need to have any sort of outside corroboration. Uh, it, it, it meant nothing to him when other people attributed greatness to him uh, because he knew he, who he was, he knew what his mission was, and that was all that mattered to him. Um what about his areas of expertise? Because from the book, it seems that it, that one area of expertise was Gitten, right? And I wonder if that was an outgrowth of again being somewhat off the you know the beaten halachic path, not being in a in a major area where he had to take on you know an expertise in, in areas where there was just nobody else to answer those types of questions. Correct? Yeah. So it definitely began in Memphis. Uh, people he was people were approaching him and asking him to write Gitten. Um, I don't have this in the book, but I do know that initially he, he turned them down. He said, I don't want to, you know, I never did this before. I don't want to do this. And then uh, I, I think Moshe Feinstein, perhaps it was, who encouraged him to do it. And that's how he started getting into it. And there aren't too, it's not, it's not a very flooded market. So once he started developing the skill, people started calling him from all over the world. And he, he really dedicated himself to the task. Were there other areas of expertise that he he was known for halachically, or essentially he was just, you know, acro- across the board, somebody who could be consulted on anything? Um, 
Well, I mean, you could consult with him on anything, but the areas of his expertise were, okay, Gitten, as you mentioned, uh, Mikvaos, he was very active in building Mikvaos, especially in the south. Uh, Erevin as well, uh, he built many, many Erevin, also primarily in the south. He You wouldn't see him too much on the east coast because, you know, we have our own Rabbanim, but in the right. places that don't, he was the one who would build the Erev, he would build the Mikvah, do all the Gitin, and another area which is less commonly needed is Chalitza. He was a leading expert uh, in Chalitza. And you mentioned Mikvos and Erevin, and, and to me it just it doesn't only mean a, an expertise in terms of halacha. There's always community issues when it comes to Mikvos and Erevin. Uh, always, you know, people have different opinions about how to approach it. Uh, one has to deal usually with local municipalities who are much less familiar with the concept of Erev and Mikvah than they might be in major Jewish communities. Uh, in, in that respect, he needed a strong relationship with people from outside the community down there, right? He, he was remarkably talented with people. Um, I, I've seen it on, on little video clips. I've heard it on recordings, but I, I heard it from so many interviewees. How it was like magic, especially with Gittin. And he did a lot of Gittin for secular couples who didn't necessarily appreciate uh, what he was doing for them. And somehow he just managed to immediately develop this rapport with them. It's, it was almost like a magical capability. I can't describe it really in words, but people just gravitated towards him. He had a magnetic pull from all across the spectrum. Um, you know, even secular Jews who never met a rabbi before, even non-Jews who never, never read a, uh, met a rabbi before, somehow all respected him and recognized that he was a special person. Was he able to attract, uh, I don't know, Colel families or others to move into the Memphis area to help strengthen the community down there? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that he did. Uh, the, the Memphis does have a colo today. I don't think he ever played any sort of leadership role. He did give uh, Chaburos and Shiram in his house, and the Avrechim would attend. But, um, you know, he, he obviously he built the school, right? He built the school, you know, from the ground up. Um, and so that, that laid the groundwork for you know, for from families to move there because no from family would move to a community that doesn't have a day school. Right. So in that sense he did, but it, I don't think there was something that he actually pursued. Remember he, he barely even lived in Memphis because he was traveling around the world five <laughs> days a week. All right. So, yet he, yet he raised his own family there, correct? He, yeah. He raised his family in Memphis. He was very dedicated to Memphis, right. but he was also dedicated to the whole world as well. So I don't think he had like the time to focus solely on building the Memphis community. It really is interesting that, uh, as you're describing it, he's he's Dafka going out of town, but this is a, a paradigm for the work that he ends up doing because he has so much influence in so many other areas, I mean, geographic areas as well. I never thought of it like that, that, you know, he really, he lived there but didn't really live there because he was always on the road. Uh, the, the fact is that he, he used Memphis as a base and, and you know, as, an, as I guess we would say a prime example of building a community and having a major impact on a community. But in reality, he was doing this in so many other places, even if he wasn't living there full time. Yeah, well, you have to also remember that it was different stages of his life. So he really started the traveling all over the world thing, I think it was in the 70s. But he moved there in 1949. So for 20 years or more, he was living in Memphis. Right. And it was during those years that the school flourished 
uh, very, you know, very much under his oversight. So, yeah, so he had both stages in his life. There was the stage where he was based in Memphis and focused on Memphis, and then he his influence began to spread nationally and internationally. And often it's funny because often it's the opposite with people. Often it's, you know, a much broader approach, and then as life continues to go on, you become much more localized, and he, of course, did the exact opposite. Pretty interesting. Any spectacular story you could share with us? Anything in all these pages uh, that we uh, uh, that we have in the book, Rav Nutta? Is there one in particular from these 300-plus pages that you could share with us in terms of his greatness? Oh, there's so many spectacular stories. Um <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of of one in particular. Wasn't there one? Um, where, isn't there one in there where he actually helps somebody off of death row? Where he? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was the one that came to mind. Uh, that story has so many more details than I was able to even put in the book. Um, it, it really you you can you can write an entire book on on that story. Um, but just a quick summary of it sure. is: there was this Jewish uh, airman in, in the military who was living. He, he was based in Tennessee, I think right outside Memphis, uh, and Rav Nutta learned that he was being tried for murder, and he immediately sprang to action. Um, I, I think it was it was pretty obvious to him that, that this fellow was not guilty, certainly not of intentional murder. Um, and he worked tirelessly for an entire year to get this fellow off death row, um, ultimately succeeding. They did not succeed in the courts. The courts rejected all of their appeals. Um, I think it even they even brought it up to the Supreme Court, and they rejected it. That wasn't Ravnata, that was his lawyers. Ravnata, together with uh, a very close friend of his, Rabbi Kutner, went to the governor every single Sunday. They traveled to the governor uh, and in Nashville and met with him and finally succeeded, uh, and he got him off death row to... Um, to 99 years and then that eventually they kept going back to the governor till they moved it from 99 years to life in prison and then he got off of uh, in, in parole after 12 years unbelievable what an effort and what he did for one person for one jew uh that he that he yeah, that's right and I, th- I think that story is a paradigm of everything he stood for the book is called Rav Nutta, the story of Rav Nutta Greenblatt, champion of Torah Judaism. By the way, a very interesting subtitle. I don't know if that's you or the publisher, uh, but champion of Torah Judaism. Uh, why name it? Why subtitle it in that way? It was the publisher. That was Art Scrolls line. I think it, it, it is correct. I think it, it's accurate in the sense that that's what Rav Nutta was trying to do was to protect Torah Judaism. The reason why he f- was compelled, felt compelled to travel around the world writing Gittin for secular couples was because he knew that if I don't do it, then they're going to go ahead and get married without a get and create so many mamzerim, and he couldn't tolerate that. So in, in other words, he couldn't tolerate the idea right. that, that Kedusha Yisrael will be compromised. Uh, and, and the same is very much with, with intermarriage. Um, the, the idea of intermarriage troubled him enormously. That really what, was what compelled him to build a school in Memphis. Is he felt if I don't if I don't create this kind of infrastructure, all of these kids are going to grow up and marry out of the faith. So Torah Judaism was something that meant the world to him, to the point where he he went all all across the world and and often I just want to point out it was on his own dime. 
he sometimes got paid for his airfare. Sometimes he didn't. He didn't care. <laughs> um, and he paid for his own car rentals, his own hotel stays. Like he did this all on his own dime. Uh, that's how much he cared. Amazing. What a book. What a story. What a man. Uh, Rav Nutter, the story of Nutter Greenblatt. Check it out. It's written by Shmuel Botnick, available now at artscroll.com. Go use uh, artscroll. Go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio for your discount and free shipping. Shmuel Botnick, congratulations. Mazal Tov on this release. You've really brought somebody who is not very well known to, to most of the worldwide Jewish community, uh, and you've, uh, you've, uh, you've introduced us to him in a very effective way, and it's much appreciated. Congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Shmuel Botnik, he's author of the book, Rav Nutta, the story of Nutta Greenblatt. Check it out, everybody. It is an inspiring work about a very humble and incredible leader. Uh, go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Make sure to, uh, uh, to do that today. Plenty more coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.